0: Father, we come before you this morning, um, God, in desperate need of your presence more than anything else. Uh, Lord God, we just sang about it. We just invited you into the places and spaces where we uh, were worshiping in song. And so, Lord, uh, we are desperate for your presence to continue to go before us as we open uh, your word. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word this morning, examining the scriptures so that they might... Uh, examine us. And so, Lord, as we always pray, uh, Holy Spirit, transform us, lead us, and create in us a heart uh, that is more like Jesus uh, this morning. For your glory, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Happy uh, July 4th weekend to y'all. Hope you are having a, a restful week- weekend, celebrating uh, with family and um, this this weekend, no, July 4th weekend is probably a little bit different uh, in this season, like, like all things. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm uh, 63. Psalm 63, we are starting a new series um, in the study of Psalms. We are really excited about this. Uh, We're not going to preach through all 150 Psalms. We're going to take selected Psalms uh, over the next several weeks and and look at them, and this is going to be an exciting study. This is something we do typically in the summer is we look at the Psalms or the Proverbs. Like last year, we looked at the, uh, the Proverbs. Um, and, and the Psalms, even in this particular season and, and, and time, uh, are, are so um, extraordinarily uh, close to where we are. Uh, one uh, theologian said that, that all of Scripture uh, speaks to us, but the Psalms uniquely speak uh, for us. Uh, the book of Psalms, like I said, is 150 chapters. Uh, over half of those Psalms are credited to uh, King David, David writing uh, these Psalms. And, and, and as we talked about even renewal uh, last month, uh, the Psalms uniquely give us language uh, for renewal. And that's, in fact, the kind of the subtitle for this series is that the Psalms, as we peer into them, as we read them, as we study them, as we pray them, as we sing them, they are giving us a language uh, for what our heart has been. And that is a, a heart for renewal. It's, it's a heart for Christ to come and renew us and draw us closer to Him. Uh, Psalms uniquely uh, do that for us. And so our, our study uh, this morning is going to be through Psalm 63. We won't make get through the entirety of it but um, I, I challenge you uh, this summer uh, one of our favorite uh, uh, pastors and authors and theologians uh, Tim Keller one of the things he committed to in his life uh, every month is reading through the entire book of Psalms just because they're so so life-giving I, I challenge you this summer maybe make it your your commitment July and August to try to read through uh, the entirety of, of Psalms because they're, they're just so so powerful, and I'm excited about our study as we, we, we get this language from the psalmist uh, this morning. So let's look at Psalm uh, 63, and, and I'm actually going to start before verse 1 because it helps us set up, and if you have your Bible, um, you'll see at the top above 63, the number 63, is it says it's a psalm of David, all right, so it tells us who's writing this psalm, who's pinning this psalm, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so, we need to understand some things, and yes, this psalm would be fruitful if you had no context, if you had nothing to, to, to if, you, if you had no understanding of what that meant, right, why in the world was he in the wilderness in Judah, this psalm would still be fruitful. However, this psalm is even more deeply powerful and impactful as you understand the context where it was written. And so it says that David, King David, was out in the wilderness in Judah. Why in the world was he out in the wilderness in Judah? Well, verse 9 of of chapter 63 tells us, it says that those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. So there is a reason that the king has fled from his kingdom to the wilderness, and it's because people are pursuing him to take his life. And so at this point, Uh, Many people often thought that Psalm 63 was written when David was being pursued uh, by Saul. That, however, is not the case uh, because David wasn't king when he was being pursued by Saul. This Psalm 63 was written when David was king. And so who was pursuing David to the point where he'd want to take his life? And this is what makes this scene so incredible. It's what makes this psalm so, so powerful, I believe, is that the person who's pursuing David, the person who has caused David to flee his kingdom and flee his capital out into the wilderness of his kingdom is his son, Absalom. His son Absalom is assembled and usurped David's power and has, has, has formed a group of men to, to drive David out and, and seek to kill his own father. You see, when you take all of that into consideration, you can begin to get to a place of where David was mentally and emotionally. Right here is a guy who um, at his day and his age was probably one of the most powerful men on the planet. And now in Psalm 63, he is hiding from his own son who is trying to kill him. And so I want you to hear Psalm 63 with that context and understand where David's head and heart are. And we're just going to start in verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God. "'Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, "'my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land "'where there is no water.'" David knows his situation. He knows that his back is up against the wall. He knows that people are pursuing him. Yet what is David preoccupied with at the beginning of this psalm? David is preoccupied with his proximity to his creator right? Look at it. Oh God, you are my God. The first words out of David's mouth in this context of being pursued, that his life is pursued, is not, oh God, deliver me. Oh God, save me. His foundational plea and cry is this, the relationship he has with his father. God, you are my My God. You see, this is the foundation that we must construct everything in our lives upon, whether it's in a season of triumph or it's in a season of tragedy. We must remind ourselves in our heart the relationship we have through Jesus Christ with God our Father. And that is what David is reminding and pressing in to his soul that what is priority and what's taking his preoccupation is the proximity that he has to his God. He goes, In spite of what I'm going through, in spite of being in the wilderness, I am going to press in to God. He says, earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints or or, or, or longs, hungers for you as in a dry and weary land. Think about where David is. He is in a wilderness. He is in a literal dry and weary land. And He goes, my soul, oh God, for you thirsts. My soul hungers for you. You see, this is the same guy who writes in in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. He writes later in Psalms that as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And these are all Psalms obviously written before Psalm 63 in different circumstances, in different places. However, what we need to see from David in Psalm 63 is though his circumstances have changed, his his language and his hunger has not changed. And so I want to ask us here, is this true of us? Like, at what point would we write or would we pin or would we voice the sentiment, God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my, my soul longs or faints for you, oh God. Like, when, when would you write those words? When, when would you most likely feel those? If you're honest, probably you would say you'd, you'd write those after these intimate moments with God, maybe after these incredible conferences or services or marriage retreats where things seem like they're realigned or if you're a student after student camp, right? Like We need to realize that, that, that we're a fickle people, right? We are tossed to and fro in our emotions so easily. But what David shows us at the beginning of Psalm 63 is though his circumstances are about as dire as you can, you can be in, he is still hungering and pursuing the Lord above all else. This man has an incredible desire to be with God, to walk with God, to know God. Now the question is, how is that cultivated in our lives, how has David cultivated this kind of being? Because this is not natural. This is not a, an easy place to live in. This is not where we our natural inclination to press into. How do we cultivate this hunger? How do we? Uh, How do we grow in our desire to be with God more and more and more? Because in renewal, that's what we talked about, about how do we grow as a hungry people? How do we cultivate this? Well, David is giving us some language here and also some some practical ways in which this cultivation of hunger actually takes place. And so I want us to see three things through Psalm 63. And the first is this. How do we cultivate this hunger? Verse two, be in God's presence, Be in God's presence. Verse two, look at it. It says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. You see, when you and I consistently make the decision to be in places or creating spaces where God is being worshiped and his presence is being pursued, we will grow in our hunger and our appetite for God and for the things of God. You see, where this week, just evaluate. Just just don't hit pause on the video, but just evaluate. Where and when this week did that happen? Where you postured or positioned yourself to be in the presence of God? You see, maybe for some of you, you're struggling to, to figure out when that was. or you, you'd, Maybe if you were honest, you'd go, there, there wasn't a space. There, there wasn't a place where I intentionally carved out time and made space to pursue and to be in the presence of God. You will never hunger and thirst and desire to know God more without being in his presence. See, that's why so many of you, you have a stagnant faith, you have a faith that is, that is stale and brittle and, and feeble, and it washes, it's, it's emotional, it, it swings from high to, 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 to very, very low. You see, I can even hear the question though now. I was like, Kyle, but, but isn't, isn't God's presence everywhere, right? Last week you said that we're the temples of the Holy Spirit where his presence dwells, and the answer to that is yes and amen. But there is an action and an activity of cultivating and drawing near to God, pursuing his presence that, that, that if I'm honest, is missing in many of our lives. You see, we think that we can have a vibrant, flourishing relationship with God apart from being people of his presence, apart from being people who come into his presence day after day. And for far too long, we have looked to the gathering on a Sunday morning. We have looked at places to be that. And listen, places are moments of that. That Sunday mornings when we gather, and and we will gather again soon, hear me. But that cannot be the only place where you are pursuing God's presence. We've said it like this before, that we'll never be corporately what we're not individually That Monday through Saturday is meant for us to be people in God's presence as well, if we're serious about cultivating a life of desire and hunger and pursuit of God. You see, David is in the wilderness here. He's he's separated from all things. He's separated from the sanctuary, sanctuary, and he's, he's reminding himself, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. And what I beheld was your power and your glory, literally your character and your nature, oh God, that even in this place of isolation, even in this place of being separate and driven away from my kingdom, God, I'm still going to look upon you. God, what I desire more than anything is your presence above all else. And if you're waiting for us to get back to a service, to be in the presence of God, you're missing it. Get this, John Calvin, who wrote this, uh, this, this uh, commentary about the Psalms, commentating on this, he says this, hear me. He says, There are some people who are religious on the exterior, but they lack a true knowledge, a true saving knowledge of God. And the closer they are to religious ceremonies, the more spiritual they feel and the more they seem to long after God. But remove them from those religious ceremonies, and their zeal for God vanishes. You see, we have been removed from religious ceremonies, if you will. We have been removed from the ability to gather like we used to. You see, the point of of gathering like we used to was to fan the flame of God's presence that was continually being pursued in your life day after day after day. Not to be this, this 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 cold start to this cold engine, right? It was just meant to be this encouragement, to be this, this unifying voice where we can come corporately. Oh, that is so beautiful, that is so powerful, that so many of us long to get back to. But there are seasons, and David shows us, where we are driven out to this wilderness. There are seasons like what we're experiencing now where we are uniquely scattered, and we have to face the fact of whether or not we are continuing to hunger and pursue and get before the presence Of God in a real way. Listen, this this isn't about being near the things of God. This is about being near God, being in His presence right? Ephesians 2.13 is our confidence, right? It says that that you who were once far off have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. So listen, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near to God, that we can have access to God, that we can be before his presence continually. Listen, you want to hunger, you want to cultivate a life that knows God more deeply, it starts by being in the presence of God. Apart from it, you'll never know that kind of depth. Second thing is this, is what we see in in verse three. It's this constant survey of what really matters, right? If you want to be a person who cultivates a deep hunger, um, look at what David says in verse three, because of your steadfast love, because your steadfast love is better than life. You see what David just did there? He goes, God, your love is better than anything else I have anything else I am, anything else I desire, your steadfast love is better than life. He just surveyed the steadfast love and he appraised it against everything in his life, including his literal life itself. And he says, I'll take your steadfast love over it all. I I don't know how many of you have ever seen that show on PBS, uh, the Antique Roadshow. Um, it's this fascinating thing and I just get like hooked on it and it's absolutely so boring but but what's so fascinating about it is you have these people who come to these these uh, very knowledgeable appraisers with just what 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 starts out as 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 junk usually like you know like I remember this one lady she brought in this painting that was like in her mom's basement in the back corner with dust all over it and she brings it to this appraiser and she goes hey you know we're getting ready to, you know, put this, you know, in a garage sale or donate this, uh, you know, to to charity. Um, could you take a look at it and see what it's worth? And and you always know because the appraiser's like, well, uh, oh, actually, ooh, my goodness, this is a colonial piece. That it, it, it's just it's this funny show. And and what happens at the end is is what happened in this particular one was she found out that it was worth four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, So this picture, hear me, this new appraisal of the worth of this caused this lady to go, what I'm holding is so valuable. It used to sit, like the appraised value of that to this lady right? used to be that it was worth sitting in the corner and it was taking up more space that was valuable, so I'm going to get rid of it, I'm going to donate it until she found out what it was really worth. You see, it's one thing to know the attributes of God right, that he's steadfast, that he's faithful, that he loves us, that he is a covenant-keeping God, that he's gracious. It's one thing to know those things. It's another thing to survey them in light of your life and really appraise their value. And David does that so beautifully in this psalm, and he goes, listen, I have surveyed everything in my life, and what's better than my life is your love, O God. You see, it's when we take time to really apply God's attributes to our life that we can survey them. This X, this attribute of you, Lord, is better than anything. It's better than success. It's better than ministry. It's better than money. It's better than career. It's better. See, I want to pause right here and ask you, what matters most in your life? What mattered most to David was the love of God, the steadfast love of God. And so I want us to pause here, and I want to ask you that question. I want you to dialogue on it. What matters most in your life, and follow it up by, would your pursuits agree? You see, that which you pursue, that which you hunger for, that really reveals what matters most to you. And so pause and answer that question, then we'll jump back into the text. Okay, so in answering the question, how do we cultivate a life that hungers and pursues after God regardless of circumstances? We're examining Psalm 63, and we have seen, one, that it begins by being in the presence of God. Two, that it, that it is about us surveying, uh, constantly surveying, really, what really matters to us, what, what is really most important to our lives. And, and third, and here's where we'll land in, in verse, the end of verse 3 and verse 4, is this. That if we are serious about cultivating a hunger for God, we must express our worship. You must express your worship. He says, so at the end of verse 3, he says, My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Did you get that? Did you hear what David is saying in the wilderness as his life is being pursued, as he is desiring to know the Lord above all else, draw near to God above all else, regardless of his his situation? He is expressing his worship. He describes it in two ways that are important. One, that he describes it with verse three, his lips praising God, that verbally, vocally, he is lifting his voice to God. And then second, look at it in verse four, he says, I will lift up my hands To you, I'm lifting up my hand. So it is verbal and physical posture that David is expressing his worship to God. You say, "Well, listen. Does, does this really matter? You know, does it really have to be expressive? Does my worship have to be really expressive before the Lord? Like he, he He knows my heart. Does it matter if I really sing out loud? Does it matter, Kyle, if I lift my hands? You see, I'm from a tradition where that's just kind of awkward and it's it's foreign. And you know, I'm I'm not really an expressive person. Um, okay, so we're gonna come." back to that, but I, I want to hear from C.S. Lewis in him addressing that in, in his book on the reflection of the Psalms, because C.S. Lewis actually wrestled with the same thing. He wrestled with the demands of God early in his faith for our praise and, and God's command to give him glory, but he soon realized that this was due to a misconception of God, a misunderstanding of what praise really is, and so he, here, here C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I think we delight to praise What we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Your praise completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So listen, when I talk and when the Bible talks about expressing worship verbally and bodily by lifting our hands, it is so that we would experience the joy that God has for us. I'm convinced that as we express worship, worship in singing, as we express worship in falling to our knees and lifting our hands, as King uh, David talks about, that it's in those moments we will experience a joy in God, a joy that isn't possible any other way or outside of expressing worship. You say, Kyle, isn't there other ways that we can express worship? I express worship in this way or that way. Sure. But let's start where the Bible starts. Let's look at Psalm 63 and the two ways that David is expressing worship. A man who has a cultivated pursuit and hunger of God like we can't even fathom, right, begins by going, listen, I lift my voice to God. I lift my hands to God. So why don't we just start there, right? And this isn't about a a, a tendency of personal demeanor. This is about us hungering and thirsting after God, that our souls long to express worship to the God who redeemed us through his son. And so my lips will praise him. My hands will be lifted up to him to glorify him. Listen, when we choose for whatever reason to not express our worship, we stifle our hunger for the living God. You see, David What he says here, he says, I will bless you in verse four. God, I will praise you for as long as I live. David doesn't know how many days he has left. He doesn't know if God's going to deliver him, but that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's fixated upon. What he's fixated upon is knowing God and being close to him because that's better than his physical deliverance. That's better than God removing him from this situation. The best thing in our lives... It's not that God would answer our prayers for X, Y, or Z. The best thing in our lives, the number one pursuit of our lives is this. God, bring me close to you. God, draw me more into a depth of understanding of who you are. God, grow a hunger in me so that I might know you so that I can then walk through those things so then I know what rightly to bring before you. You see, what we need most is not a solution to our problems, even though God says, bring those before me. But what we need most is God to cultivate a hunger in us for him. And listen, church, the reality of what we're doing here, and what I hope that this psalm inspires in us, is what we're really doing here is, is as we pursue God, as we draw near to him, we are simply building an altar. And in this picture in 1 Kings 18 with Elijah before the prophets of, uh, with the prophets of Baal, this picture in, in 1 Kings 18, and you can read it, where Elijah, he, he builds this altar. It actually says that he rebuilds the altar before God, and he stacks wood on it, and he digs a trench around it, and he puts the sacrifice on the altar, and he puts wood back on the altar, and then three times they dump water on this altar, and then, and then Elijah goes before God and goes, Lord, I need you to show up. God, I need your presence to consume this altar, right? In the, in the eyes of those who look in, who are skeptical, who are peering in, God, I need you to show up. Listen, we can do all of these things. We can have all of the holy patterns and, 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 and spiritual disciplines in our lives. But apart from the fire and presence of God showing up, it's meaningless and pointless, And so listen, we do all of these things. We come before God. We express worship. We we survey the, the, the things in our lives that matter as forms of stacking wood on this altar. But at the end of the day, what we're praying is, God, I need your presence to come. God, I literally need you to saturate the wet wood of my life with your presence so that you may be seen, so that you may be experienced in my life. That's the best thing. That's the only thing I desire. That is David's heart. And guess what? 1 Kings 18, God shows up in fire. In this wood that was drenched with water is consumed and God's power is on display. Oh God, that in the park's church, that you would be a consuming God that you would show us the way in which you long to move and work in each and every one of our lives, that we would stop being stifled by petty, mundane pursuits, and we would pursue you with our whole hearts, our whole being. God, for as long as our our, our in-person gatherings are paused, God, I pray that we would even more fervently and intentionally be a people who come into your presence, who carve and create spaces where your presence can be before us, that you might be that fire that consumes the altar that you call us to construct. For your glory and for your fame, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. Let's pursue Jesus this week. Let's be a people of his presence, coming into his presence, longing to hunger and thirst for him above all else. I love you all so much.